Mike Erie here, coming at you from um, suburban Columbus, Ohio, where on April 9th, uh, it is snowing. Um, I, I simply, I, I, I felt the need to complain publicly about the weather simply because uh, lament is a very biblical thing. And, um, and I realize that people are listening from all uh, around the country and in other parts of the world too, and that it's not as awful in those places as it is here. Uh, but my, my complaining has become tedious to even to myself. I, I simply will now suck it up and, um, and just accept that I am a Midwesterner and this is what the weather is like. And then protesting does nothing to change it. Even the weather forecast can't predict it. Uh, but it is snowing on April 9th. And this is the last comment I will make on the weather until maybe next week. So um, you can breathe a sigh of relief that that is over. Welcome to the podcast. If if you are a new podcast listener, we've been going on a couple of years now, and um, and just have this wonderfully glorious and diverse community that's grown up around um, uh, our little endeavor. And uh, and and one of the things that I love about it is we we get tons of feedback, tons of support, tons of critique, uh, and all of that is good and wonderful. What I want to do. Um, what I want to do the next, I don't know, maybe couple of podcasts, unless something major kind of interrupts the, the flow. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about narcissism um, and its, its current place in American evangelicalism. Um, and, and I speak as one who, who I've, I'm learning is, a, is maybe a bit familiar with the topic. Um, and it is ironic just out of the gate. It's like, it's like complaining about social media on social media. Um, like talking about narcissism when you're sitting in a room by yourself, um, thinking that people are going to hear your thoughts on narcissism is narcissistic. And so I totally grant that irony and I don't know what to do about it other than just to press forward with awareness. Now, um, uh, narcissism, at least from my little bit of research, comes from this Greek myth about Narcissus, who was a hunter. Um, he was, a, uh, as a boy, his face um, was unbelievably beautiful. I can totally relate to this. Um, when he was 16, I think the myth goes like this. When he was 16 or he was a young man, he walked along uh, the mythical river Styx and, um, and stopped to drink water, evidently, and, and saw his self-reflection in the water. And uh, what he saw transfixed him. Um, I don't know if he knew it was himself, but he, what he saw was just absolutely incredible. And so he fell in love with the image of himself. Um, and, and because he fell in love with the image of himself, he, whoops, I almost knocked the microphone over. Um, he was incapable of loving others or being loved by others. And, um, and so, so he, he could not leave his reflection and so um, he kind of laid down by the pool and uh, eventually became uh, the flower Narcissus. The earth kind of swallowed him up. And so the word narcissist came to mean a person who is fixed, has a fixation on, on themselves or with themselves. Um, uh, a guy named Charles Stone, um, working with uh, some of the intellectual work of a guy named Peter Steinke, 
um, writes, has done some writing about this um, and, and very, very fascinating stuff. Um, narcissists are tough to identify um, because they often exude qualities that are lauded in American culture. Self-confidence, magnetic personality, strong skills on like a speaking platform, uh, the ability to motivate others. Um, it's widely believed, this is one another author, that narcissists are easy to spot because they act in such self-serving ways. However, the opposite is true. They are not easy to spot. They tend to be very well thought of by the majority of people. That's what the goal of their narcissism is. Generally, they are highly respected and among the most loved of leaders. It is very important to narcissists that others view them in ways that are consistent with their inflated self-image. Now, this is going to be a really, really big deal here in a second. Generally, uh, the true narcissist works hard to win admiration and becomes very good at it. The dysfunctional elements of narcissism are not seen until you look into their very closest relationships. Narcissists are unable to build intimate relationships because they demand that everything focus on serving the narcissist instead of relationships that are mutually loving and giving, bringing out the best in both parties. For the narcissist, the only priority is that they are being served. Um, the, the general success in creating a favorable impression makes the narcissistic element among evangelical leadership extremely influential. They are the most loved preachers at uh, the largest churches, commonly quoted authors of the best-selling books. Um, narcissists generally put more energy into building their church or advancing their ministries, not because they want to impact the lives of people for Jesus, although that will be their claim, but rather because of their intense need for recognition and celebrity. Um, and, and so this, this poses, I think, a very interesting dynamic in much of um, modern Western Christianity, at least in my subculture, my tribe, because there, we, we do have all of these celebrity pastors, tons of mega churches, lots of people on bestseller lists, um, lots of, of bloggers and social media uh, folks that have huge platforms. I mean, literally, we're just the, the evangelical landscape is just rife with uh, with all sorts of platforms, including this one. Um, and so I thought it would be an interesting conversation. I was because I was reading an article. And it was signs that you might be narcissistic. <laughs> so I started reading this thing and went, oh my goodness, um, perhaps, perhaps there's, uh, there's more uh, narcissism in me than I had originally thought. And so I started digging, doing some digging and, and just went, oh, wow, this is a, this is a thing. So um, I want to talk first about, and again, I'm no therapist at all. I've been in therapy twice. Uh, but I want to talk about just kind of a, a general, really oversimplified um, understanding of kind of what causes this sort of preoccupation with self. And I'm, I'm going to do it in therapeutic language that I'm just borrowing from, you know, the reading and study that I've done. But um, it, the, 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 the thing is, it resonates with me and it resonates with a lot of stories I hear about people leading um the, the pe kind of people leading churches. So I want to talk about in this, um, in this show, just what narcissism is and um, the signs of it, at least written by some. 
Uh, and then I want to talk about next, next podcast. I want to talk about why is it so prevalent in um, the way we understand church, the way American evangelicalism understands church. What is it about that understanding of church and ministry? What is it about that that attracts um, people like us into, into leadership? Um, so, so a couple of, couple of like background thoughts from a very high level. Uh, and again, I'm not even, you know, I'm not a therapist at all, but, uh, the, these thoughts seem to make sense to me. So I don't claim any authority on them, but, but it certainly, this certainly, um, is an oversimplified understanding of a bunch of stuff I've read. So, uh, there seems to be a general consensus that, that the narcissistic personality, uh, is formed when there is some sort of damage or trauma to the self-image of someone during their formative years. Uh, and that can be any number of things. It's just, it, it has the effect of damaging self-image. Um, and the wound that is then created is really built around shame and core insecurity that somehow uh, I'm not a person that is lovable. I'm not a person that is admirable. I'm not a person that is respectable. There's something deeply flawed by me. And because of that, um, I am, uh, I'm jealous uh, or threatened by others who are, you know, more special than me, more athletic than me, more influential than me. I'm jealous of other people's success. I can't celebrate the success of others people uh, of other people. Um, but but that fundamental wound um, and the shame that comes with it, the insecurity that comes with it, um, leads to a deep compulsive craving to feel important and significant. That's kind of the big point. So your self-image is damaged, and then all of a sudden you have this deep need to have your self-image um, reconstructed, and you and you do that by this this compulsive desire to feel important and significant. And I and I I so resonate with this. I mean, one of my earliest memories um, uh, was was Luke Skywalker. In the first Star Wars, the original Star Wars, looking out at the twin sons of Tatooine while the John Music, John Music, John Williams music, his musical score just kind of swells in the background. And, and you've just met Luke and Luke is so unhappy. There's this big war going on between the rebellion and the empire. And he's on this back, he's stuck in this backward planet, you know, doing moisture farming. And he's got to sit through another season because his uncle won't let him go and blah, 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 blah. He's just, he's yearning. He's always looking to the horizon. Um, and there's this desire to participate in something important and something bigger than themselves. And I'm, and I just remember, I, I've always connected with that image. That image has always spoken to me. This kind of deep, deep longing to to be important, to be significant, to be a part of something uh, that deeply, deeply matters. And so I totally resonate with that with that image. I, the the a wound that is shame that that has shame around it and insecurity around it. The desire to feel important, and then the next move. Um, is, so you have the damage to the self-image, then you have this wound that is created. And the, the third move is that you create a false persona. And that persona can be, it can ver be very chameleon-like, uh, meaning it, it, it can change depending on who you're around, or you, know, you, can, you can be any number of false personas. But the key um, 
is is that uh, um, the the false persona and the maintenance of the false persona um, is how we cope with what one author says is ego deprivation that whatever that that damage was to our self-image and the wound is that we carry with us now that we create the false persona to be the things we're not um, to, to be the respectable, admirable, uh, praiseworthy person that our shame, our shame won't let us ever believe we deeply are. So we have to create this false persona and the false persona can be anything. I mean, you can be nice and diplomatic, a conflict avoider. You can be uh, fun and popular and well-liked and self-deprecating. You can be tough and austere and nothing ever gets you down and you can handle it all. Um, you can be totally ambitious and yearn for success and use people a along the way, as long as they help you succeed. Um, you can hide behind right theology um, or religious traditions. Um, and, and, and as long as you're well known and important, you know, because of your theological views and, you know, the, the self-acclaimed job you have to correct everybody else. I mean, all of these ways are ways of hiding. Um, and and the the creation of the false persona and the huge, the hugely important um, point, at least for me, is that the false persona is created in order to meet the need to feel significant and important. And so what is, is then made um, after the creation of the false persona, it's a preoccupation. This is kind of the fourth step. It's a preoccupation with the self and reinforcement of the false persona by others. So you constantly need this persona propped up because deep down, even you know, in the places we're not even conscious of, we know it's not true. And so to try to find um, validation of ego and image and so on, we prop up this false persona and then we seek to have that validated by acting in certain ways uh, that people applaud or approve of. And uh, holy cow, I so resonate with that. And, and I hate admitting it, but I absolutely resonate with that journey. Absolutely. So... Um, so this man, Charles Stone, lists, and again, he's basing it on other work too, but he lists um, uh, some signs that you or someone you know might be narcissistic. And, and to some degree, um, psychologists argue that that uh, a, a small dose of narcissism is a good thing. I mean, to have boundaries, to have self-esteem, those sorts of things. To to some degree, there there is a bit of narcissism that infects all of us, and that is necessary uh, for us to function in the world. And we've all been damaged in one way, and we all feel shame um, in in one way. And so so some of this is true of all of us to a degree. Um, but the, the compulsive need for attention and approval, I think, is what sets true narcissists apart from the rest. So here, here's a list of, and, and, and if, if you'll forgive me, I'm just going to share some of my reaction to this list. Um, and, I, and I'm doing it, oh man, I'm doing it not because I, I, I believe everyone wants to hear my take on this, although I'm capable of that. I'm doing this because um, for me, there's a bit of confession here and um, it, you can't talk about the Christian celebrity thing uh, and critique it if, uh, if I'm not willing to see the log in my own eye, you know, so to speak. And so as the biggest sinner in the room, 
um, as I go through some of these, some of these really sting and, uh, I go, Oh my goodness. My wife and I were reading them <laughs> and, and after a couple, she's like, <laughs> she said, how does it feel to know? Does it, does it feel good to finally know or to have a name for what it is that you struggle with or whatever? I mean, it was like totally like, Oh yeah, of course. So, um, so in no particular order here, are 10 or so symptoms, signs, uh, markers, perhaps that you're dealing with excessive levels of narcissism in somebody else, uh, or yourself. Number one, rage. If this person experiences shame for shame exposes their true self. So again, a lot of effort and energy is put in to maintaining the false persona and um and the, and because there's so much effort putting on the maintaining of the false persona uh anytime that false persona is exposed there is a lot of anger given to that exposure because if you get back in touch with that wound you realize that wound is defining at least it seems that way that wound is characteristic and and that wound isn't as pretty as the false persona you've worked so hard to maintain so uh, a narcissist is hypersensitive to criticism. Um, why? Because, uh, because of the criticism, if they see the criticism is valid at this deep, deep level, it gets them in touch with shame. Shame makes, makes them feel exposed. And so very often narcissists will respond viciously and personally to disagreement or to attacks um, or to any sort of like calling on the carpet conversation because they'll feel exposed. That's number one. Number two, an inordinate need for praise in order to feel important. So, so my Luke Skywalker moment um, and, and reflecting on it since has, has, I've seen in my own heart, the desire to feel important, the desire to be praised, the desire to, because th th that gets me in touch with something uh, that makes me feel like I'm in touch with something that's much bigger and more important than me. And, um, you know, the idea of just being average or normal, um, is, is just anathema <laughs> to, to us. And so, and we'll get to why in a second, but there is, and again, we all need praise and, and I can cover this up by saying, you know, Hey man, words of affirmation are my love language. But, um, as I've been in Ohio and away from, you know, a mega church culture, I've led several mega churches and even a church kind of a startup, um, where I've been seen as important or significant and I've moved to Ohio and, and there are a few people uh, that I know, and there are a few people that kind of know what what I've done in the past, but but that is so. I mean, it's just it, there's nothing that that is satisfying my ego. There's no significant work. There's um, you know I'm not. It, it's just been this. It's been this death of like affirmation, and I've noticed how starved I am for it. Um, which is such a, such a dangerous kind of dangerous place to be. Um, so I see this, this need for, um, the need for praise in order to feel important. Um, and, 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 and the ironic thing is so much of the false persona, uh, it displays itself in an inflated ego. And so you're, you're almost overcompensating, uh, for the, the ego damage you had somewhere, you know, earlier, 
uh, by having this inflated ego. But the way you get the inflated ego is because you're constantly maintaining a false self that is specifically designed to get praise from other people. And so um, narcissists have an inflated sense of self. They do not see themselves properly. So when Paul says, like in the book of Romans, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Um, that is impossible for narcissists because we don't see ourselves truly in relationship to other people, to our wound, to our false persona. Um, yeah, there, there's a sense in which if we're not sufficiently honored in my identity as a leader, um, it, it's very easy to become self-promoting or to want to become self-promoting. And, um, and, and it's very easy to disguise wanting to build up the kingdom of God um, as, as, or wanting to build up my kingdom as wanting to build up the kingdom of God. Very easy, very easy to do that. And, and you see this with our preoccupation with numbers and platform and followers and likes. Um, those things aren't marks of impact in the kingdom. Those things are marks of, you know, they're the bits of praise and bits of popularity and bits of recognition. And that's why we love them so much. So uh, I remember, uh, we're still on number two. I remember um, my first kind of pastor in California, a guy named Kenton Bishore um, at Mariner's Church. We were, I was an up and comer, baby. I was a college pastor and I was beginning to speak more. And I realized I had this gift of, of speaking and, and our college ministry was going well. And I was getting more and more recognition in the church. And we were uh, talking uh, one day, we were, we were writing small group questions. They were called flow questions back in the day um, about something. And I remember Kenton asked, hey, what, what is the, he asked me and another guy, I was like, well, what are the struggles of your heart? And um, some of you've heard this story before, I know, but, you know, it was, I was rifling through the standard pride, lust, you know, um, whatever answers, kind of the normal answers. And, and Kenton, uh, in that moment, sort of looked at me, and it was a prophetic moment for me, because he looked at me and he said, nope, you desire to have a great name, to make your name great. And, oh my goodness, I just started weeping. I mean, this is not something I did a lot back in the day. I just started weeping because it was so true. Yes, I desperately wanted to have a great name. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker um, and, and be involved in something that was super important and mattered and I was contributing, all of those sorts of things. So um, I very much resonate with the inordinate need for praise in order to feel important. Um, I even asked my wife, my wife, I married, um, I married a wonderful young lady who is shown love through quality time and through acts of service. And I am shown love by physical touch and acts or um, uh, words of praise. And, um, and so I will literally ask my wife, hey, what are two things you like about me? Because she's not, she's not a big verbal affirmer. And I always thought, well, that's just me being, um, you know, trying to receive love as a, uh, as a, you know, somebody whose love language is verbal encouragement. But now I realize, oh, no, 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 that's, I'm looking for somebody to prop up my false self, right? My persona, I got to find someone to prop that sucker up. Um, I thought it was so good. I thought it was so amazing that I, I, 
I mean, not amazing in the good sense, but just kind of ridiculous that I would go around asking for that from my, my sweetie bear. Oh, number three, another huge favorite of mine, the feeling of entitlement to special treatment. And, um, and so, so let me read a little bit here. Narcissists hold unreasonable expectations of particularly favorite treatment and automatic compliance because they consider themselves special. Um, <laughs> so good. Failure to comply is considered an attack on their superiority and the perpetrator is considered awkward or difficult person. Defiance of their will is a narcissistic injury that can trigger narcissistic rage. Narcissists often get really angry when they get exposed. And I remember I remember feeling exposed once when my wife, I don't remember if we were in an elder meeting or what but i remember i was trying to make a good impression i was care I, I cared about the impression i was making my wife shared about something that we had fought about and i came out looking really bad and i remember how angry i was with her um it was it was almost like the the curtain was pulled back and here i am the small petty immature kid in my marriage and i remember i was so angry and i did not connect it with kind of feeling exposed but i do now i mean holy cow that's exactly exactly what happened and i and i, and I remember like yes of course you and i know <laughs> that i'm like this but why do you have to share it with anybody else uh because it makes me look bad it, it exposes the false self um so i i can resonate i can resonate with that the feeling of entitlement oh my lord um, I, I went to therapy and, and I, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but you see there again, I care about what you think. Um, so I'm just going to keep going. I went to therapy and, um, I went to a guy, there are different, obviously schools of therapy and uh, the therapeutic process and different approaches. This guy was a butt kicker and, um, and I loved it. I needed it because we were, I was dealing with depression, and anxiety and, um, I showed up at his office and he's like, what's wrong? And I just pour out my heart and all my grievances against the universe because why am I so not normal? Why can't I just be, you know, non-anxious? Why can't I just be as dumb as rocks and not have all these possibilities spinning around in my head and blah, 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 blah. And he, and he sits back, he's taking notes for a while and he sits back and he's like, oh, so you have to be special even in your illness. And, and there was this just massive silence as I went, oh, oh, I, I guess that's true. I can't, I, yes. And, and thus began my learning about this false self that I'd been creating um, for the sake of feeling important and, and special. And, um, and, and, and these are ways, so th it doesn't always look like this, but these are ways that entitlement can kind of play out, um, taking advantage of others because others are there to serve the narcissist, um, lack of empathy for others, because the only internal world you're really interested in is your own and others are really an extension of you, um, uh, being envious of others. Like we've talked about, um, this one, this one gets me and I see this a lot in churches and in me, there are two sets of rules. There's the set of rules for me as the senior leader, and then there's a set of rules for everybody else. Or there's the set of rules for me as the, you know, whatever, um, Christian celebrity, and then there's the set of rules for everybody else. And my wife calls me on this every time. It's even it's even true in parking. I will I consider it a source of pride to invent parking spaces that won't get ticketed. 
Um, and my wife's just like, why can't you just park like everybody else? And I'm like, I, that's because I'm not, I'm not a common person or something. I don't even know. It's so dumb. Um, number four. Oh, oh, uh, the entitlement will also, excuse me, before we get to number four, the entitlement thing will often lead leaders to put their own needs before the needs of the organization that they lead. Um, you know, instead of emulating Jesus who laid his life down for his sheep, who served his followers, um, narcissistic leaders very often see their followers as serving them and serving their platforms, their agendas, their ministries. Um, number four, number four, the immense need for continual feedback on how important the narcissist is. So again, it's immense need for continual feedback. Again, nothing wrong with wanting like feedback. Um, but, it, but these, these qualifiers, it's immense need for conditional feedback or the compulsive need for attention and recognition. Um, man, that, that has been true, particularly of me when I was, when I was younger, I was, I, 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 considered it to be playful but i was constantly interrupting things or cracking jokes or or uh whatever and, and i didn't realize that was all like a constant need for attention and uh some would say that's still true um the number five the feeling of superiority and its reinforcement from others this goes into the entitlement thing um narcissists believe that they are somehow unique in their status uh, and they have this grandiose sense of importance. I remember again, in another Kenton story, um, I believed as uh, I think I was 29. So that was a couple of years ago. Um, I had believed that I could do anything, like literally give me any problem in the church and I could do it. I could solve it. I could figure it out. And Kenton, um, would always say to me in meetings, he's like, you can't make pigs fly. You can't make pigs fly. I don't know why he chose that metaphor. Maybe I was Midwestern boy or whatever. But but I remember telling him, no, specifically, I can do that. I, I can make pigs fly. And I've actually chosen jobs that I knew were going to be brutally difficult because I overestimated my abilities, my abilities to teach my way into things or to my, I overestimated my ability to take criticism or whatever. So it was this grandiose sense of importance. And, you know, when Kenton would say, Hey man, you can't make pigs fly. I mean, that was actually a really important thing for me to learn. Um, I didn't see it then. Um, but, but, you know, you, you, in the, in the midst of your false persona, you don't want to admit weakness. And, um, and so, man, I, I so see now looking back how many times I would, I was doing things or seeking things from people that were just reinforcing my perceived sense of specialness, uniqueness, superiority, whatever. Um, number six, a strong reaction to rejection and disapproval, sometimes with, incent, uh, with intense rage. And, um, and so, you know, We've already talked about that. It, and it's not surprising, right? Um, rejection and disapproval leads to shame. At least it does in me. Shame puts me in touch with my inadequacy, my woundedness, um, and it pokes holes through the false persona. And so I desperately want to defend that sucker like crazy. Number seven, um, narcissists lack the capacity to mourn, which, um, according to this one author is a defense against depression. I don't understand. I don't understand that as much, but the lack of capacity to mourn, 
I really resonate with that. I remember I was in third grade. My parents told me they were getting a divorce and I wept for maybe two or three minutes. And then I went back down and and continued to play with my toys. I just, I skated over it. I remember when my dad died um, in 2007 and I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't find my, I couldn't find weeping. I just couldn't, couldn't get there of all the things. I mean, um, uh, I used to think I was very, very emotional um and and i do but i i can't get in touch with with crying uh like as much as i think i should and so i was like oh well that's interesting um and i don't know again i don't know anything that sits behind it i just know oh that resonated um number eight calculating and conniving behavior in order to maintain supplies of continuous adulation <laughs> Oh, that's horrible. Um, uh, Symptoms related to this one. The constant need to be the center of attention, the diminishment of others' accomplishments, jealousy um, (laughs) about when others are getting attention or, you know, having success. Um, The fragile state of the narcissist ego, this is uh, written by somebody, is deeply dependent upon constant reinforcement and approval from others. Narcissists will look continuously to secure, quote, narcissistic supplies, which are sources of feedback that reinforce their false image. Such individuals have an extreme need to gain esteem through status, attention, admiration. Um, Because of this need, they carefully protect the position or status through which this narcissistic supply is achieved. Because of an inability to trust others, they conclude that um, this can only be done by the exercise of power and control and the maintenance of their false persona. Number nine, an impaired capacity for commitment. Number 10, no capacity for self-focus or self-examination. So the question, the question I was wondering is, would a narcissist read about the signs of narcissism? And I don't know, but um, I did. So I don't know where that puts me. Um, I thought this was super interesting. Number 11, this one really stuck me uh, or struck me. A narcissist cannot... Uh, function well in godly peer relationships. They always need to be in hierarchy. They always need to be under somebody or over somebody and aware of all of the rules that go with that. Um, They always need to be one up or one down. They cannot function in in peer relationships where they're not special, significant, um, admired, whatever. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Um, Narcissists are often leaders that want the perks of ministry without the pain of ministry. Um, uh, Narcissistic leaders look for close relationships with those who pander to them and avoid those who confront them. Um, Narcissists can use people. Um, for their own ends, view them as objects to use for their own advantage. Um, narcissists rarely give in to other people's ideas or receive criticism well. So, so I was like, oh my goodness, this, this not only sounds like the person I look at in the mirror, um, but, I, but I wonder if this is a thing that sits behind a lot of the clergy abuses um, that we we're seeing these days or the the moral failures or the what and it, it seems like so i want to i i i just i don't know i wanted to go through this list and say yes man, man many of these uh embarrassingly i'm like yeah i i think they're true um 
And, and God's done a really interesting thing over the last several years um, with my false persona. My false persona, if it were up to me, is a guy that's totally ripped. He has long hair, like in a cool way, totally athletic, doesn't care about what anyone thinks. You know, my false persona would be is super intelligent, but in that kind of like, you never need to show it off kind of way. Um, very witty, but, but never, never show offy. Doesn't, you know, doesn't need anything. Isn't insecure. I mean, it's all this, you know, that, that would be my ideal false persona. The persona, the real false persona. So I even have a false, false persona. My, my real false persona, um, you know, is totally gregarious, winsome, life of the party, adventurous, um, takes risks, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's so funny. God has dismantled every piece of this over the course of, of years. And, and, and as my wife and I talk about it, I mean, that's a a very severe and gracious mercy, you know? So instead of being skinny, I am hefty, um, and embarrassed completely by it. Hate, you know, being bald is kind of in, that's okay. It's not super bad, but I would rather have hair. Um, um, having a little boy with special needs and, um, the, the transition from kind of the family you dream of to the family you've got and the death of whatever, you know, you were used to dream about. Uh, I was even conscious of that until we had Seth and I was realized, why am I grieving so much? Um, and, uh, you know, how other families will look at you and, and it's tough to, sometimes to have f- other family relationships because Seth is just tough. Um, you know, we've got to watch him all the time. So, um, we've lost, you know, uh, relationships over this and, um, uh, the depression, the anxiety, I mean, just the absolute powerlessness that I felt at times to control my own brain, um, and then to the shame, you know, of people saying, hey, man, if you just prayed more, if you just, you know, you're worried now, what happens if something really bad happened? You know, I mean, um, you know, going to a therapist's office, laying on a couch, talking about my feelings, all of these things were super, super humbling. Going to Ohio, hurting the church plant uh, by leaving so abruptly. And I think, quite honestly, there's a part of me that hoped that moving to Ohio would help the the anxiety and the depression. You know, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, my mom, I thought my mom was really sick. Um, uh, I thought that my health needed a change of a venue. Um, and I just think there was a lot of fear in that. And so, so I'm sitting here and again, I know you don't care particularly, but, but it's just been so interesting because I've, I mean, I go to this little small group on Monday nights and it was so freaking hard not to tell people what a big deal, um, I am (laughs) or to show off how much I know about the Bible. I mean, it's so freaking lame. Uh, I can't even stand it about uh, just how ridiculous. I mean, I would have to discipline myself to be quiet. Um, who has to do that? So, so anyway, um, this is, uh, I, I don't know if this is wise or not, but I felt like as I was thinking and praying last week, cause I need to mention that I was thinking and praying. Um, I, I was thinking about that article and how much, it bothered me 
and then I was like, oh man. So, so the hope is, the hope is twofold. One, I think this is something that's really rampant and rewarded in America and in American evangelicalism. And I think, I think we just need to start calling out the whole platform building thing. It's toxic. But, uh, but I also think for me, there's just some confession, you know, that, that one of the ways to war against the false persona is the continual reintroduction of uh, my weak, frail, dark self without, you know, w- without trying to diminish it or nuance it or, or make it pretty. And I just say, no, man, this stuff is part of me. I hate it. And I want it to be different. I want it to be better. And by God's grace, I, I've seen some growth. Absolutely. Circumstances have conspired um, to, <laughs> to reveal the depths to which um, this runs. But, you know, there's also, there's also just a deep desire to become the kind of person that um, would, would act and serve like Jesus, who, you know, the whole, his whole ministry was based on, on, and certainly his definitions of leadership on, listen, if you're going to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. And how little I think I try to embody that or um, uh, have embodied that, not even tried, but just have it. And so anyway, my brothers and sisters, what I want to do next time is talk about why 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 does vocational christian church ministry as at least understood in american western evangelicalism why does this foster uh, this sort of leadership why why have we embraced it why have we um why have we uh, permitted it um, and, and, uh, I think there's some really good stuff that, that we'll cover, but anyway, this was just, I, I could not get into that without at least acknowledging my contribution, um, to the, the mess in which we find ourselves. So my brothers and sisters, thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these days. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.